1 Corinthians 15 tonight. Uh, tonight I'm going to talk about something that I'm going to call a vital truth. It's absolutely a vital truth. You know, not, you know, all the truth of God is important, but not all truth has the same weight to it. Well, it, you know, if I was going to say to you, where's the faith chapter? He said, that's Hebrews 11, right? If I said, well, where is this, the, the shepherd chapter? You say, well, that's Psalms 23, Pastor. But if I said to you, where do you learn about the resurrection? Well, it's this chapter right here, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We looked at the first part of this. And uh, I'm not actually going to get to the resurrection body tonight, but we're going to talk about this. I've just titled this message, this, this teaching, The Gospel Promises a Resurrection. Do you know that's one of the most astounding promises in the Scripture? Now look at me a second. This life is not all there is. I'm 53 years young. Young. Notice I added that there. And I know that... Probably half my life or more is already over. That's pretty sobering for me to even tell you that, to think that half my life, more than half my life may be over. Statistically, the average age is about 77 now, I think. I want you to think about that. So there's going to come a day when we breathe our last breath in this world. And I can tell you, I'm not afraid of that day. In fact, I long for that day. Now, I'm not saying that I have some kind of death wish, but I can tell you this, that beyond this life is something wonderful. Are you hearing me? Beyond this life is something that no preacher, no, how, no matter how much of an orator he may be, and certainly I'm not one, but I want to tell you that it's going to be so glorious that Paul went to heaven, and he said he was taken there, and he said it was so glorious. I'm paraphrasing. He said it was so glorious, there were things I can't even speak about. I can't even tell you. I can't even describe them. They're so marvelous. Know this. Heaven is better than you think it is. It, it will be joy in perfection, peace in perfection, love in perfection, eternity without sin, without sorrow. I mean, I, I, uh, somehow I got an app on my phone, and I don't know how I got it on there. And it gives me notifications. I need to turn it off some way. Because every time something comes up, it's bad news. And it's all about the Dallas-Fort Worth area. There's so many people harming each other. And there's people murdering. And there's homicides. And there's, there's so much pain in our world. And do you know that we as human beings, we cause that pain. We cause pain to ourselves. But Jesus is the answer. He is the answer for all these thousands and hundreds of thousands of cars that pass here Every week, it, Jesus is the answer to broken lives and broken families. And there's an amazing promise in the scripture. And it's the promise of the resurrection. Now, I want you to think about this. And I, I, I just, what I want to do is, there's so much here. I'm not, I can't just read all. I mean, there's, there's 58 verses in this chapter. And... <clears throat> But I want you to think about the resurrection, the promise of the resurrection. What, what we need to know about this subject of the resurrection, it can't be overstated. This is a subject that can't be overstated. Because without the resurrection, we don't have a gospel to proclaim. I mean, the church has no reason to exist without the resurrection. And there is no Christian faith to embrace 
to comfort us, to give us hope. You know, with these worship tonight, I feel comforted that, that there's someone in the fire with me. And the, you know, that's what these songs are designed to do. And our worship team and our singers do such a marvelous job. And that first Sunday in this new sanctuary, I'm going I'm I'm to prophesy to you. I'm going to cry like a baby. I'm not a son of a prophet or a prophet. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to prophesy on that one. I'm going to cry tears of joy. And we're going to worship God. But without the resurrection, there's none of that. Empty. It's empty. There's nothing. We're wasting our time without the resurrection. Listen, the resurrection cannot be overstated. Without the resurrection, there's no future. There's no hope. This is all there is if there is no resurrection. And the truth of the matter is, the gospel of the resurrection is about your best life later. Absolutely. That's absolutely what the resurrection is about. It is not your best life now. If this is our best life now, I am really disappointed. Are you? The hope of this gospel that we preach, that is absolute truth, you can count on it. You can stake your eternity on it. It is not the best life now. Now listen, when someone receives Jesus, is it a better life now? Absolutely, it's a better life now. Sin is broken off. Hopeless is broken off. The, the, the pain, you have someone with you. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. You have victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Certainly, it's a better life now. But your best life is about to come. Your best life is beyond this life in that place called heaven. Paul said it, that we're to set our minds on these things. Paul said, set your mind on, on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Set your minds on, he said it this way in Colossians, on things above, not on the things of the earth. And that's what we're to do. Set your mind there. And that's the resurrection. Now, do you know what the Christian confession is? You know what the great, you know what the great Christian confession is? The great Christian confession is, of course, Jesus is Lord. You know, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But the great Christian confession is that, that Jesus is Lord. The term, now I know that Jesus is Savior. He's the only Savior. There is no other. Amen. We're, listen, we're here in the great Advent season, and the angel came. Remember what he said? His name shall be called Jesus, and he shall save. He shall save his people from their sins. And that was our need. I needed to be saved from my sins. But the term and the phrase, Jesus is Savior, is used about 16 times in the New Testament. 1-6, 16. Do you know how many times the term Jesus is Lord is used and its equivalent? the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, over 400 times in your New Testament alone. Here's what the Word of God says. Listen, here's the confession. That if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart, listen, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's the great confession that we have. Now, in this chapter, there's three things I want to touch on this evening. First of all, the gospel that saves is a gospel of the resurrection. The gospel that saved is a gospel of the resurrection. I'll read these first 
few verses again. I preached on these. I won't preach on them, but I want to just tell you that the only gospel that saves is the gospel of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's look at 15.1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, by which you are saved, if, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you, you believed in vain. For I delivered you, first of all, that's of first importance, which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, and that he was buried. He wasn't just, he didn't just die, he was buried. He, did, he didn't just die and raise, but he died, and then he was buried. How many days was he in the grave? Three days. That's what the Bible says. Three days he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scripture. I'm sorry, verse 3. I deliver you first importance. Uh, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. And notice this. And he rose again the third day according to the scripture. And then he was seen by all these people. So here's, here's what I want you to see. That the gospel that saves is the gospel of the resurrection. The faith that saves is a faith that believes that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried in the grave, in the grave, in the tomb for three days. I have been in that tomb. I have been inside the tomb of Jesus in Jerusalem. And on the third day, he rose again. That is the gospel that saves. And then it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Only This gospel of the resurrection, only this gospel can resurrect sinners from the grave of their sins into a brand new life. No other gospel will do it. None. None can do it. No matter how persuasive it may sound, there's only one gospel, there's only one message in all the entirety of the world that is the gospel that has power to change a person's life. And it's the gospel of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what it does when it's preached and when it's believed on by believing sinners, it it saves them, it changes them, it transforms them from darkness to light. It gives them an inheritance among the people of God, and they become a child of God. See, when the gospel comes in, it changes a person. We don't turn over a new leaf, but we get a new life as a gift from our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6 says this, What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Verse 3. Do you not know that as many of you as were baptized unto Christ were baptized unto his death? Notice verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Do you see the gospel that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15? He says this gospel is a gospel that when we're saved, we're we're united with Christ in spirit, and his death, his burial, his resurrection is accounted to us, and it changes us. This city needs a church on this hill proclaiming the life-changing message And in the years to come, multitudes are going to come and they're going to get delivered off alcohol and drugs and all the things that bind men. Jesus' gospel is the key that sets men free. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now think about this. The resurrection is spoken of throughout all the scriptures. So many, it's broad. The resurrection of Jesus, Romans 1, 
proves his lordship. Listen to this. It says, verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. That's the subject, the gospel. Verse 2, which he promised before through his holy prophets in the Holy Scripture. What's it concerning? Verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. So notice this, verse 4, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. His resurrection, the Bible speaks of the resurrection of Jesus. It declares his lordship. But you know, the Bible also declares our resurrection. Jesus said, you're going to get, we're going to get in on this. If you're a child of God, you're going to get in on this. The Bible talks about the resurrection of believers. John 3, 39 reads like this. This is the will of my Father who sent me, that all who, are, who, all who he has given me, that I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Notice this. And I will raise him up in the last day. Do you know that's the promise of the resurrection? That he's going to raise us up in the last days. You know the Bible also talks about the resurrection of lost people. Not just Jesus' resurrection. Not just the resurrection of believers. But do you realize that lost people are going to be resurrected also? John chapter 5 verse 25 reads like this. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is... When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Then he says in verse 26, And as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted his Son to have life in himself, and has given authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming, coming, in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. All, all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, that's us. Those who have done e- evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And, and just to further that point, in the Revelation, in the 20th chapter, we read that it says this. And this is an ominous thing here, by the way. In Revelation chapter 20, it says in verse number 12, these words. And I saw, this is John seeing a vision. I saw the dead, the small, the great, standing before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the works, uh, the, their works by, the, by which were, were written in the books. Verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead, which are in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead, which were in them. And they were judged, each according to his works. Even lost people, God's going to bring them. They're going to stand before him. The resurrection is a prolific, a prolific subject in Scripture. All right, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. What, you, what we need to know about this resurrection, life is, more than, life is about more than just physical existence. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, look at this verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 12, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Now, the subject in this chapter is the resurrection. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
Notice that there were some in the Corinthian church that were saying there is no such thing as a resurrection. Now, it's interesting that uh, the Greeks of that day had a very dim view of the resurrection. Now, Greek, the Greeks of that first century believed in the afterlife, but they had a dim view of the afterlife. They believed it was powerless and that it was absolutely meaningless. But I'm going to tell you, that's not what we believe. That's not, that's not the Christian view. The Christian has an incredible sense of hope. And uh, that, that's, why any, that's why anywhere Christianity has touched nations, it, it's transformed nations. Do you know this gospel can transform nations? Do you ever notice that, that the nations of the world where Christianity has been embraced, there's is incredible creativity. There's incredible sense of fruitfulness. And the reason is because of the framework and the mindset that Christianity brings. Not only does Christianity bring hope for tomorrow, but it brings hope for today. That I need to make a difference in my world, and I'm a difference maker because the hope giver lives in me. But what, what Paul said this about eternity, he says that, that eternity, that in eternity, we're going to find our greatest meaning. That our greatest purpose is actually beyond this life. Everyone in this room, God has a purpose, a plan and will for your life. But he also has a plan beyond this life for all of eternity. Paul said it this way in Philippians. Our citizenship is in heaven. Think about that. Your citizenship is not here anymore. It's in heaven. And that's where we're heading. The doctrine of materialism simply states this, that physical matter is all that exists. That's what materialism is. The doctrine of material, it, it's that all that really matters is the now, physical matter, physical life, physical things. And as I look over the horizon of our world, I think that many and maybe most have embraced that doctrine. You say, how do you say that? Because how many people in our world live for the now? How many people are... Simply think about now. They don't think about eternity. They live for the physical. They live for the now. The scripture teaches about a man that Jesus taught a parable. He said to this man, I thought, this is a very relevant teaching for our modern day America. And that is this, that this man was so wealthy and so fruitful that he, he was so productive that he didn't know what to do with all of his stuff. And he said to himself, I'll just build bigger barns to put my stuff in. And Jesus said to that man, that man was a fool because he said this night he would die and his soul would be gone. His life would be over. And the, the teaching is that we can get so focused on the material and, and the existential now that we don't think beyond this life. Ephesians talked about those who simply live to fulfill the desires of the flesh, the body, and of the mind. That's all they live for. In the Bible, the Sadducees were the materialist. The Sadducees were those that dealt with Jesus and criticized Jesus. And it said they didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in angels, that is. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They were the ancient materialist. The, Paul preached 
in, in, in Athens, he dealt with the Epicureans, which were also materialists. They sat around and listened to all the philosophers constantly. And then Paul came with a new doctrine. And when he mentioned the resurrection of the dead, they, they threw dust in the air. They criticized him. They laughed at him. What are you talking about? A resurrection from the dead. And it even sounds strange to our modern world because men are so locked into now. They so want their best life now. But our best life's not now. Our best life is beyond this life because of the great promise of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So think about this. The gospel that saves is a gospel of the resurrection. Secondly, I want you to see this. The tragedy of a gospel without a resurrection. Without a resurrection, there's things that we don't have. Now, let's, let me just read this. Verse 13. It says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and our faith is also empty. Verse 15, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have been testifying of God that he has raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead did not, do not raise. If the dead did not raise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, that is, in Christ have perished. And if in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men to be most pitied. Oh, King James says, we're of all men most miserable. The thing is, if we, the tragedy of a gospel that has no resurrection is, what it doesn't have is, we have no Messiah then. Think about this. Think about the, remember I told you as I began this teaching that if, that this is a major teaching. This is not a minor teaching. This is the engine of the car. The, it, Christianity doesn't work. We, we have no gospel. We have no hope if there is no resurrection. And the tragedy is if as some in the Corinthian church were believing, there is no such thing as a resurrection. If that's the case, then Christ is not raised and we have no Messiah because Jesus could not be Messiah, he could not be God unless he raised from the dead. And only God can save fallen men. As I quoted a while ago, his name should be called Jesus, and he will save his people from their sin. Only the just one can save the unjust ones. If there's no resurrection, we have no Jesus. And Jesus is not who he says he is. If, if we have no resurrection, not only do we not have a Messiah, we don't have a message. What are we going to tell people? He's still in the grave? That's no hope. What are we going to tell people? That he's just a great teacher? Though he was a great teacher. But that's not all he is. He didn't come just to be a great teacher. He didn't come, though he did miracles, and I believe every one of them. You say, do you believe he walked on the water? Yes. Do you believe he fed the multitudes? Yes. Do you believe he turned the water to wine? Yes. Do you believe that he raised Lazarus from the dead? Yes, yes, yes. Every miracle is true. But he did not come to simply be a miracle worker. Didn't come to just be a teacher. He came to meet our greatest need. And that is to die for our sins, conquer death, so that we could conquer death also. And we could be resurrected and, and overcome this life and be with him in eternity. Verse 18, said, uh, verse 18 says, if there's no resurrection, if, you know, those who fall asleep, they perished. And then it says, we're all men most miserable. If there is no resurrection in this message, we have no message and we're, we're to be pitied. 
But the truth is, Christians are to be the most envied people on the face of the earth. Because the church is the only thing that's going to last. You realize that? The church is the only thing that's going to last. Walmart, they may sell for less, but they're going to be gone one day. Come on. Right? Farmer says, we, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing, seen a thing or two. We're not going to need that anymore. It's all going to be gone. You know what's going to last? Listen, are you ready? The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. What you and I are doing on this hill and seeking to build this church matters. But it doesn't just matter for this life. Because of the resurrection, it matters for eternity what we're doing. We're doing eternal work. We're making a difference eternally in people's lives. We have no message if there's no resurrection. Not only that, we have no meaning. Verse 17 says, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. We have no meaning in life. There's no meaning. If there's no resurrection, there's really no meaning in life. And, and you can turn your television and you can see people every day without meaning. No meaning. But my friend, listen, we have meaning. Our faith is not futile. Our faith has hope in it. Undying, unchanging hope. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. That's our meaning right there. What's our meaning? To go to church? No. I have a, you know, I know you're not supposed to add the scripture, but I, I, I told a guy one time, I was, we were going to a bunch of meetings during the week, and it wasn't like church meetings, but just meetings. I said, God so loved the world, he didn't give us another meeting. But I can tell you this much, Christ is our meaning. Why are we doing all this? Christ, that's our meaning. That's what gives meaning. His resurrection. He's alive today. Jesus is alive. He's at the right hand of Father. He's alive. He's the head of the church. But if there's no res- the tragedy of no resurrection is no Messiah, no message, no meaning. But if it, another thing that if there's no resurrection, there's no might in our lives. There's no power in our lives. Listen, this is a tough world. As a pastor through all these years, I could just tell you tragedy after tragedy and troubles and storms and trials and difficulties that people go through. And without the resurrection, there's no might, there's no power that the gospel can give us to face those things. What do you, how do you face depression? How do you face it when Sister Josephine back here, her nephew, passed away? How do you, how do you handle that, Sister Josephine? How do we handle when we get bad news? How do we keep going when the sickness comes in or, or bad news comes in or loss comes in our lives? Because if there's no resurrection, there's, there's nothing the gospel can impart to us. But because of the resurrection, there's a resurrection power in us. You know, where's the Holy Spirit? He's in you. He's in the church. He's inside the believer. Because listen, a, a, a Jesus is not resurrected. If we don't have a resurrected Jesus, listen what we don't have. We don't have a baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Because a Jesus in the grave can't give anybody power. But listen, we have a Jesus on the throne. He gives power. Come on. He gives us power over depression, power over satanic forces, power over the lies of the enemy. Come on. There's a tragedy in no resurrection, but boy, the power that the resurrection brings. Listen listen to this. In Acts chapter 5, in verse number 30, it says, this is... They're preaching here, and it says, God our Father has raised Jesus, has raised Jesus, whom you murdered and hanged on a tree. Him God exalted to the right hand to be the Prince and the Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Notice the result. 
Notice the results of the resurrected Christ, resurrected God. And, and we are his witnesses of these things. We're witnesses of what? So also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us who obey him. Do you realize the power and the might and the movement of the Holy Spirit is a sign that we have a powerful, raised Savior that gives might in our lives? We don't have some tragical life. We have an amazing life. Resurrection power. Listen, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us and available to us. And we can, li- listen, we can live for God, can't we? We can have joy. We can have victory. We can have great marriages. We can have great kids. We can have a powerful church. We can build a church on this hill. Why? Because of the power that God's going to give us. Because of the resources God's going to give us. Might. Now. Now think about it. Think what I'm telling you this evening. First of all, the gospel that saves is the gospel that has a resurrection in it. Secondly, the tragedy of a gospel without a resurrection. I told you that. Here's the last thing. Third thing. What is the effect of denying the resurrection? That's the problem here. You have a significant group of people in this ancient Corinthian church that are denying the resurrection. And Paul is saying to them, he's rationalizing with them, he said, do you understand what you're saying? Do you understand what you're saying when you're saying there is no resurrection from the dead? It's a gospel with no saving power. A gospel that doesn't have God the Messiah in it. That doesn't have might and and mercy and a message of hope in it. How is that going to affect us? How does does not having the resurrection, how does denying that affect us? Look Look at this. Verse 32 and verse 34 tell us. If in the manner of men I have fought with beast at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not raise? So in other words, if the dead do not raise, if there is no resurrection, then Paul said, this should be our attitude. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Let me put it in modern terms. If there is no resurrection of Jesus, let's go down to What's that wrote? Um, Greenville Avenue. Let's just go to the bar. Let's just belly up to the bar and just drink life away. Let's just be, let's just make this life a party. Look at verse 30. Awake to righteousness. Verse 34. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some of you have, do not have the knowledge of God, which I speak to your shame. So here's the, here's the first effect of the resurrection. If we, don't, if, the res, if we deny the resurrection, we don't take sin seriously and we don't fight sin. Notice what he said. If there's no resurrection, nothing beyond this life, nothing to give an account for, nothing to live for, he said the effect of that is we don't take sin seriously. Just live, live for today, eat, drink, be merry, live it up. That's the, that's the dangerous effect of the resurrection. Secondly is this. Denying the resurrection, water baptism becomes a meaningless ritual if we are not going to see our loved ones again. Now look at this strange verse in verse 29. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? Now think about this. If there is no resurrection, then water baptism becomes a meaningless ritual. And if we're not going to see our loved ones again, 
Why are you being baptized for the dead? Now, Paul didn't sanction it. It's a strange verse. I don't completely understand it. You can read 20 commentaries, and they don't understand it either. Amen. No matter how smart they think they are. I don't know exactly what it means. I don't know if it means that their loved ones died and didn't have a chance to be baptized, and so they were baptized for them. I don't know if it means that they were, they were gone, they died, and now these people are baptized and, and, taking, and filling the ranks up again and taking the place in the Christian army. I don't know what it means, but I know this, that if there is no resurrection, then it's meaningless. Baptism is nothing but an ritual. ritual. But here's the thing. We are going to see our loved ones again. There's going to be a great resurrection. And there's going to be a gathering together. And we're going to gather together in eternity. And all the loss that we felt and all the funerals we've had to go to, we're going to join together with our moms, our dads, our aunts, our uncles, our grandparents, our pastors, our, our teachers that have gone before us. We're going to gather with them. And the Bible says, so shall we all always be with the Lord. What a great day that's going to be. And then lastly, this. The effect of denying the resurrection. Our faith to endure suffering is greatly weakened. Look at verse 30. Paul says, why do I stand in jeopardy every hour? If there's no resurrection, why am I standing in jeopardy every hour? Verse 31, I affirm by the boasting in which I have in Christ Jesus, the Lord, I die daily. So notice, notice his rationale here. If there's no resurrection, why am I suffering so much? You want to know how much Paul suffered? Read 2 Corinthians 11. Beaten with rods like five times, uh, uh, you know, 39 lashes many times. He was left for dead. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was adrift at sea. I mean, that apostle went through amazing suffering. And he said, if there's no resurrection, then why am I doing this? Why am I suffering all this? There's something incredible that Paul teaches us through the Holy Spirit that when we believe in the resurrection, we can face the threat, even the threat of death without fear. We can proclaim the gospel. And listen, they may kill the body. They can't kill the soul. The Bible says, don't fear him who can kill the body. The Bible says, fear him who can kill the body and soul in hell. Here's how Paul faced it. He said in Romans 8.18, when we believe in the resurrection, we can say this with Paul, Romans 8.18, for I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. We may go through suffering. We're not promised an easy life. But Paul said, what I'm going through there doesn't even compare to the glory of the resurrection of what I'm going to have in eternity. I conclude with this thought. We need a very strong belief in the doctrine of the resurrection. And the reason is because the doctrine of the resurrection influences the way we live, the way we see life, the way we approach life, the way we prepare for eternity, the way we treat people. It, it affects how we witness. It affects our emotions. It affects how we serve God. So we need a very strong belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it influences how we live. And, and, and we, look at verse 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. 
That, that means this. Those false teachers were, were telling them there's no resurrection. Maybe in the Sadducees group. Who knows who they were? But we need a strong doctrine of the resurrection because we're influenced by what we believe and we're influenced by those who influence us. So if, if the Corinthians were got, they were under the wrong teachers, weren't they? They were under the wrong teachers. They were under the teachers that weren't teaching the whole Bible. They were saying there is no resurrection. And that was the major truth of the Bible, that Jesus died, buried, and rose again. I'm grateful for the promise of the resurrection. Let's stand. Thank you, Lord. What it does, it gives us hope. It gives us hope. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you today. Thank you this evening for the great, this great subject of the resurrection. Father, I thank you today. I thank you this night, Lord, that there's this great promise that each of us have. And Lord, I, I think I would apply it this way, Lord, that this great resurrection gives us courage to face every challenge in life. Paul said he died daily. But that, that, Lord, we know that means that he was, he was out serving you and he was facing the threat of death. But yet he was so courageous because he knew that, that even death could not stop the child of God. And Father, we thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. You supply every need that we have. And Lord, I pray that your blessing and your grace will be upon each person here tonight. Let them know your love. Let them know your, your hope. And Lord, we ask you once again to build the church. Let the church be strong. Let the church be full of zeal and a heart of love for you. And so, Father, as we leave this place tonight, we pray your blessing. Bring us Sunday to just have a great and a marvelous day of celebration in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And for this, we thank you. Amen. God bless you, church. So good to have you with us tonight as you're dismissed in the Lord.